Welcome to the Chaos Plan, where the odds may not always be in your favor. Thank you for listening to this introduction of the Chaos Plan. We will be doing these regularly as part of the Homebrew Review Podcast. Uh, After we get a couple of these released, we will start just putting them in whenever we have a new person join in the group. And that could be anyone at any time. All it takes to join the game is to donate and be a part of our Patreon page. For $2 a month, you're guaranteed this style of game as well as larger groups of four to six people, depending on how many people are able to record at whatever time we say we are going to. This will be done mostly over our Discord channel, which is another perk of our Patreon page. If you join for just a dollar, not only will you have access to all of the audio files there, but you can also listen to us live. We will be recording, like I said, on Discord, so just mute your mic and listen in on the fun. We really hope to see you all here as this is something that we are very, very passionate about and want to keep going. This is a live style game and will be a ton of fun for anybody that wants to join. If you have friends and groups, all of you guys can donate and play as a group when you are able to. I will not be the only DM. I know you guys are probably getting tired of hearing me. So we will also have guest DMs running their own games in this in my world. So we hope to see you there. So this is Michael Holmes. I am playing Kleinen Stern, the Locust Cosmic Sorcerer. Um, this character uh, is kind of a interesting idea. I've been playing around with the idea of running for a while. Uh, the Locust is a really unique race in that they are beings born of cosmic events. Uh, they get special abilities based on what events are the source of their birth. Uh, I util- I'm utilizing the, the fusion birth, which is basically my character was supposed to be born as a star in a nebula, but through events that happened in his backstory, uh, a faction of humans from the far distant future have been monitoring the galaxy, looking for events similar to the circumstances of his birth, and taking any sentience that forms and either dispersing it or placing it in a vessel that's more appropriate rather than a body of cosmic power with the potential for untold destruction. Um, So he basically spent the first few hundred thousand years forming in a nebula and then eventually was ripped from his cozy little cocoon and put in a box on a shelf until a body could be made for him. Um because of the rough nature of his extraction, they ended up pulling some of the fusion energy that was forming him, and it became part of his being, which is where we get the Cosmic Sorcerer, which the version I'm playing is basically a rework of the 4E Cosmic Sorcerer 4th edition, um, gaining some really interesting spell uh, cantrips and spells that I'll be able to utilize within the character Uh, The build is going to be mostly focused on thematic spells, the stuff that that relates to him as a 
uh, a being of chaotic energy. Um, so we'll be running a lot of bolts and rays, uh, chaos bolt, of course, a little bit of, you know, protection spells. But for the most part, he's going to be focused on beating down bad guys. Uh, however, he is a very inquisitive entity. Uh, being forced into a new world like this through his, his rather interesting backstory, um, which we'll probably find out more about later. Um, he's in a new world that he knows a little bit about because many of his formative years spent on the shelf and even, you know, growing into his new body, he studied a lot of, you know, turn of the current millennia, uh, geek culture, if you will. And so he's got a, a, a vague understanding of D and D, but that we'll probably try to play that off a little bit. Uh, but also, um, you know, a lot of pop culture movies and everything. It's going to be the kind of references you would expect from out-of-character talk, in-character, that I'm hoping to have a lot of fun with, especially considering Mike's character being basically Indiana Jones. Yeah. So I'm definitely looking forward to, uh, to some of the character interactions I'll have, and uh, Klein's main focus is going to be figuring out why he has magical abilities to begin with, how they're working in a world like this, and what he can do to utilize them to make a better life for himself and any of his friends. All right, awesome. So you messaged me a little bit about what you'd been doing in the previous weeks, being in a village on a small island uh, near one of the float isles, uh, outside of the Whirlwind's range, of course. And after having discovered this power, uh, the villagers discovering this power, they uh, send you to the local Magus, who then references you on to the Float Isles, uh, where the closest Mage's Guild would be. So right. you you would have a little bit of background knowledge to know that the trip going up to the Float Isles is not exactly the safest in the world, so they would definitely give you a little bit of forewarning about that. Um, so you would be brought over on a ship uh, that runs fairly regularly uh, back and forth to where the Float Isles begin. It would be a man-made reef, uh, maybe magically made as opposed to uh, constructed uh, by mundane means, but there would be a basic platform that rests right on the water level. And as a large whirlwind that circles the float aisles uh, begins to get closer, uh, you are told by a door greeter, for lack of a better term, um, to grab one of these parachute sacks and as soon as the whirlwind gets close enough, jump in. And he had totally uh, no joking around about that at all. Like, 100% serious uh, in regards to this almost suicidal idea. I was going to look at him and look at the, 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 the this reverse parachute. And uh, it's like, well, it's definitely not the strangest thing I've been asked to do since I've arrived. So uh, I'll uh, do as I'm told. It's the... If it's the best chance I have to figure out what's going on, I'm going to take what I can get. Okay. Uh, he kind of nods along and and uh, gets ready to enjoy this because the first-timers are always the funniest to watch. And as the whirlwind gets closer, he shouts, Now! And you jump off into the air. Go ahead and give me a very basic um, either athletics or acrobatics, uh, either strength or dex if you don't have them. Uh, to hold on to this parachute as it rockets you up into the air. 
Alrighty. Um, that is a uh, ten for my acrobatics check. Okay, that was exactly what you needed, and so you are able to barely hang on to this reverse parachute as it rockets you up and up and up further into the air, and all of a sudden, after several seconds of being caught up in this whirlwind, you see the bottom of a mountain, almost, start rushing by you as you continue rocketing into the air, and it turns into a mountainous landscape with almost uh, reverse effect. So rather than the point being at the top, the point starts at the bottom and the snow continues to build on it as you get higher and higher until you finally start seeing nets around you. These nets are almost funneling you into this uh, main area and you see start seeing warning script written on the side of the rock that uh, tell you that you're almost to the top. Get ready to uh, hit this net to be caught by it. And after just a couple more seconds of that, you slam into this almost net of uh, really thick rope, but a net-type structure. And you see uh, about 10 feet in front of you a small, another uh, door greeter, basically, that tells you to grab onto the rope and continue on through. And he's just kind of doing it very uh, flight attendant-y. You know, uh, hold on to your parachute, one hand in front of the other, slowly work your way to the edge here, you know, and gets kind of a net ready to catch you should you begin to fall. So uh, I'm assuming you just very quickly, you know, scramble off of this being as this is kind of weird enough. You're, you've been flying as a cosmic being before, but not in this way. This is not how flying works. <laughs> what are you doing? Exactly. So you uh, climb on or climb across that rope structure and you get down to ground level again. Uh, you see all sorts of... Uh, people milling about and many of them are watching and chuckling and you get a couple of pats on the back and good-natured chuckling uh, as they see your wide eyes from landing. There happens to be a an advertiser of the local tavern that hands you a ticket for one free drink at this tavern uh, and they say they hand them out to all the people that come up there because after you take that ride you definitely need a drink and there's no better place to drink than in the flying half lane. I will graciously accept the ticket and make a note to probably check it out after I visited the guild. That is my primary reason for coming here. All right. You make your way towards the uh, town, and as you can see, it is a very large, opulent-looking city. Very, very regal. And uh, it's even though it's still daylight, it's starting to get to that twilight point. Since the float isles are so far above the actual surface and the horizon, the sun, quote-unquote, sets before the rest of the outside area, or before the rest of the world, basically, and it creates a very delayed twilight, as the sun that is no longer above the horizon of the isles is still reflecting off of the ocean below you. So it's a really strange, shadowy twilight, and all of the roofs of the buildings in front of you seem to have a glow to them. Uh, it's a very interesting looking material, and you're not quite sure what it is, but you feel almost a, a familiar familiarity of this color, uh, of this glow, almost like that of your magic. And uh, you are able to make your way into the town in front of you. With very little direction, you are able to eventually find the Mage's Guild. Uh, they Everything is pretty much built around a central keep. Uh, you would be in the town of Atmos, which is the one of the great houses um, basically established this town back when it was still 
on the ocean floor as a normal island would be. And so uh, there is a very much centralized feel to it. So, you know, the center of town where the great house would be would be where any other great building is. So uh, you make your way there. Uh, would you do any kind of looking around, any kind of listening in or anything like that? Or would you just make a straight line for the Mage's Guild and do everything else second? Uh, I'm really excited to be in, you know, on the, on the trail to you know, finding finding out you know, what exactly may be going on with me. So honestly, as inquisitive as I normally would be, that's all going to be secondary to what is essentially my ultimate goal. So I would be, you know, beelining it straight for the guild. Okay, and what is your passive perception? It is <laughs> nine. Ooh, I like it. All right, so then you hear absolutely nothing but the jumble of the crowd, you know, spending so much of your time in a lab with very controlled noise levels and everything else. Uh, it would have been kind of hard to pick out so many different voices, especially since you're just getting used to uh, having the senses of uh, a normal person, essentially. And this is your first major town experience. So you are able to uh, get to the Mages Guild, and as soon as you get to it, you notice that it is also the roof of, roof of the Mages Guild is made with this very same roof-type material, the same glowing stone almost, uh, slates, uh, are on top of this, and you see a great number of mages coming in and out of it, and they all seem to be carrying strange packs and uh, different wands and things like that. Go ahead and roll me an arcana check on some of them to see if you can pick up what they function as. That is a four. Okay. You don't really recognize them as you're, you've never really used wands before, um, but they all seem to be carrying wands that look very identical in nature. And all of them seem to have packs, and some have special goggles or lenses or whatever on. And they all seem to be, now that it's getting towards twilight, heading towards the outskirts of town. But you kind of push past them, and you get into the Mage's Guild itself. Uh, would you try to find somebody of importance or somebody of stance to talk to, or what would you do? Um, with what little knowledge I have gleaned about the, the area in my time, I figure that... As much as I want to, you know, find out as much as I can as quickly as I can, especially when it comes to guilds, uh, there is protocol to follow and certain channels that you have to go through. So I will basically ask the first person uh, that I can find that looks like they might know anything, i.e., you know, like like a, a receptionist or whatever, you know, who I might be able to talk to about interesting magic that I think might be manifesting. The, you don't see anybody that is um, necessarily looking like a receptionist necessary necessarily, but you do see a blue glowing, almost ghostly looking individual who seems to not be going anywhere so much as just uh, kind of hanging out in this main hall. Uh, seems to be kind of floating papers around on mage hands and kind of filing things away. Uh, other than that, everybody else looks like they are on a mission to go somewhere or are engrossed in their studies. Um, so would you approach this kind of blue, glowing, ghostly-esque looking individual? He looks like he's probably the kind of individual that I'm looking for, so yes, I would walk up to him and just 
explain, you know, I'd give him my name, uh, tell him I'm from, I am air quotes from uh, one of the islands just outside of the uh, Everstorm. And I feel like something strange is happening to me, magically speaking, but I can't quite put a finger on it and it, it I can't see it or really control it. It'd be, the only times it's happened has been completely at random. I haven't been able to uh, manifest this at will, but I want to either be able to or figure out what it is that's actually going on and I have no idea what's going on. Oh, dear Lord, please help me. Okay. Yeah, as you approach, uh, they would definitely take notice of your almost, uh, I don't want to say uncontrolled because that makes it sound like it's bursting forth everywhere, but they sense uh, something is kind of weird with your magic a little bit. And uh, as you approach them, uh, you see their head turns, their their hair seems to float a little bit, uh, almost as if it were kind of Grab uh, without gravity, uh, and they have dark circles under their eyes, and their very gaunt face. Uh, and their their skin glows almost a little bit with a kind of a pale blue light, um, and they they kind of push a mage hand. This one visible as opposed to um, an invisible hand. Uh, kind of put a hand out and uh, gesture you to stop. Uh, when they speak, their their voice is very spectral in nature, uh, almost what you'd picture a ghost to be speaking as. The person says, Halt, just a moment. Something is off about you, but I cannot tell what. I can tell that you are not a Mage Guild member as you are not keyed into the wards here. Uh, one moment, and you see their eyes start to glow a little bit. Their, their sclera goes completely white, uh, and you can't really see their pupil at all. And uh, after a moment, you feel your magic start to tingle and glow around you. Uh, would you try to control that magic at all, or just let them do their thing? I'm going to let them do their thing. They know more about what's going on than I do. You know, I, I might, I might try to ask them what they're actually doing, just you know, out of curiosity. But I'm going to let them do whatever it is because they've been doing this a lot longer than I have, so they probably have a better idea as to what is actually happening. Okay, uh, yes, this being uh, continues to stare at you for a little bit, and uh, though you asked the question, they seem to, their mouth is moving, but you do not hear words, so you think it's some sort of almost silent chant, uh, some sort of channeling type effect, and after 10 or 15 seconds, which feels more like 10 or 15 minutes, the glow slowly subsides back into you, and their eyes return to those of what they were before. They introduce themselves as alias. Uh, which you find kind of funny because you know what an alias is, but they call themselves that, introduce themselves as that, and tell you that they are basically the messenger of the tower. Uh, they are the one that would be able to direct you where you are going. They can see that you have magic, so you won't be left here in the waiting room, for lack of a better term, as only those with magic are able to access other areas of the tower. But since you are not a member, you will have to be escorted anywhere you would like to go, but they would be more than happy to direct you to where that is if you tell them the nature of your visit here. I'll just reiterate my, my original statements about oh, yeah. having having weird magic and please help me and... Uh, if everything works out, I might be interested in joining the guild for knowledge is knowledge is power. Okay, yeah, I totally forgot you already said that. Um, yep, so, no, you're fine. 
So uh, the ethereal pulls a piece of cloth out from one of the pockets of their robes and kind of tosses it into the air where it begins to float. And uh, they say, follow the... Uh, I'm going to call it a handkerchief just for fun. Follow the handkerchief and it will lead you into where the teachers are and they can maybe discover what is going on with you. And so it immediately begins floating off to one of the many doors in this tower. And when I say many doors, I mean there are dozens of doors that line the circular chamber. Uh, the only major one would be the one that you entered that is a very large arching double door that you could roll a cart through without any problems. Every other door in this place seems to, as you walk towards it, almost expand in size to what the size of the main door was. Almost as if a uh, space is being shifted as you walk through this tower. Um, so you go up to the door that the handkerchief goes to and it opens without any kind of pushing. And as you enter into this next room, it is even larger than the chamber that you were in, which is impossible because this is a tower and th there's no way that the space could fit within this space. Um, but it continues leading down and you see another chamber full of different doors. Each one has its own symbol on it. You would recognize many of them simply because I'm assuming you're proficient in Arcana. I am actually not. Oh, you're not. Okay, then uh, make me an intelligence check. <laughs> uh, that is an eight. An eight. You're pretty sure they're magical symbols, um, but you're not exactly sure what they say. Um, but there appears to be several different symbols. Uh, and it would take you kind of into the middle of a room where there is a bell hanging in the middle. And it would the bell would ring as soon as the handkerchief got to it, almost as if there was some sort of invisible being locking it in front of you. And after that happens, uh, a teacher of some variety, you can only... Think Dumbledore, but uh, less Harry Potter and more medieval. So they would be um, much stronger, I guess, as wizards of the time would not be able to be weak at all. So a very grizzled-looking teacher, uh, long beard, robes of gray, would come out and ask you, why, why are you coming before us? Are you a student here? Uh, how can I help you? Would you reiterate kind of the same thing? Yep, I'm just, I'll just keep telling everyone the exact same story until I get the answers I'm looking for. He holds his hand uh, palm up, and he tells you to place your hand palm up in it as well. He tells you to chant, to feel some of your magic and try to channel it into some sort of effect. So, i.e. non-damaging cantrip. Non-damaging cantrip. Uh, <laughs> or if it is damaging, something that isn't too crazy. Like poison spray. You know, if you got Firebolt or one of those, you could cast it uh, up into the air or whatever. You know what I'm actually going to do? Since, since we're going to do this kind of interesting, I'm actually going to utilize my Fusion Pulse cantrip, and I'll just target it at a empty square that is you know not near either of us, so it won't have any effect on us. But it'll actually just create a small little like orb of almost like a tiny black hole. Awesome. You begin to channel your magic, and as it rockets up into the air, you see the gray man's, uh, the gray, I'm just going to call him the gray wizard. You see the gray wizard's eyes get very large, and it at, rockets up into the air, and then the wards around this room seem to just pull the magic apart as it dissipates the energy in a pattern of almost rainbow color that 
a dome that goes by the ceiling and just kind of dissipates that energy over the entire room and ward. And he says, Ah, that's not something that I have ever seen before. Let us do one more test to see what your magic is. And he says, he pulls a little ceremonial type athame, a small dagger, whatever, out of his belt. And he says, I will only prick your finger just enough to get a drop of blood. Is that okay? Yeah. All right. He pricks your finger just a little bit. And as the blood wells up, he casts a spell and your blood glows a little bit. And he said, ah, this is something from within you. The only thing that I can really tell you is that you cannot learn magic as this school can teach you. You will have to discover this magic within yourself. Uh, the best way you can do that is to take one of these chambers, and he points to a number that all have an identical symbol on them that appears to be almost what you would think of as an analog clock, uh, one that has the hands on it, kind of a clock shape. The only way you will really be able to discover the power within yourself is if you have the time to experiment with your magic on your own. There are materials within these uh, spell chambers that you can use to help draw that out. That is all the more advice I can give. And he would just kind of wait to see what you would respond with or if you would just go to the doors. I will thank him and uh, ask him if he has any advice on how I can accomplish this. I mean, it's not like it's, it's, it's kind of one of those you know, this is all very new to me, and I was actually surprised that I was able to utilize that, that spell that I did. Um, do you have any advice on, on just how I might be able to tap into that power and, and help guide it? He would look introspective for a while, and he would say, I am a magus of learning. I have discovered my magic through the use of incantations and tones. There are also those who get their magic from some sort of outside being or power that grants them that ability. Since your magic comes from within you, the only advice I can give to you is to dig within yourself and reproduce the effect that you just did here and continue to just push those effects and discover all the ways that you can shape it because your magic is actually within your body and blood itself, you will have a control and manipulation of the energies there that no other magus can hope to accomplish. Um, you would know it that you would kind of determine at this point that magus would be the term for non-divine spellcasters of any kind. Um, okay. So he would say that that would be the best way. He would also say that uh, you can take as much time as you like. For within these chambers, time moves differently. Once you pass through those doors and the door is sealed, it will remain sealed for what on the outside here would be one hour. On the inside would be one day. I will thank him for his advice and uh, kind of tentatively move towards one of the doors and uh, just just as, as a kind of as a reflex, just kind of knock on it. <laughs> you knock on the door and... Uh, you think you see a flash out of the corner of your eye as an illusion is dispelled, and it's actually a police box. And, uh... No, no, no. Not going there, not going there. 
so uh, you know, I would have bought it. I would. I would. I would have rolled with it. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so uh, no, but you uh, knock on the door and nothing special happens. It is a very solid door. It's not made of wood. Not made of stone. Maybe petrified wood or some sort of magically magically created material. You're not exactly sure. But this is definitely a strange door. I guess I'll, uh, if there's a knob, I'll just turn it and push or pull whichever direction. I'll probably try to push it on first. <laughs> yeah, you push it and then you read the words pull on the side of it. Um, but you push it again just to be sure. Now you uh, are able to very easily enter the room and it closes behind you and you can see in common language, uh, since pretty much everybody speaks common, uh, you can read the instructions for how to seal the door. Uh, you see that there is a vial of potion sitting on a stand right next to it, and you just kind of smear some of this potion on the seams of the door and it will seal for you. I'm assuming you do so? Yep. Alright, you seal the door off, and there's a faint click and almost a pop, like you're going high in elevation, you have to pop your ears, and, uh, basically you see in front of you a very large, in D&D terms, meta, as your character would have some knowledge, uh, a wizard's laboratory. So you see a very large open room uh, with a spell circle in the middle of it, tomes on the walls, potion vials, alchemy kits, basically everything that you would see in a very stereotypical wizard's lab. The only thing that is different is that there is an open archway into what you may meta have knowledge of. Think Dragon Ball Z with the open, the, the, the chamber there, which is exactly, yes, just white as far as you can see. But this would be more in rather than 360 degrees. This would be more of there's a small platform that you stand on and everything else around you is just white. You can't actually step out for an infinite number of vials, you know? Okay. So uh, once I've kind of gathered in my surroundings, I'll just probably start off take take a deep breath sit down cross-legged, I'll actually you know, because this feels very hyperbolic time chambery to me I'll probably spend the first you know, five, six, ten minutes just breathing and meditating and trying to get a feel for what's going on inside of me before I start to do anything Alright, yeah, as you turn introspective um, you feel the magic very much like it was when you were still a celestial body, basically. You feel the vastness of it. You feel the limitless uh, potential of it. But you also feel that even though that power could be limitless, if you truly turned it loose, uh, you can tell that because you are uh, now a body of flesh, that if you... Or are you flesh, or are you kind of a hybrid like the Arcanatron? Uh, it is... For the sense of what is actually going on, it is flesh. It's just very oddly colored and was grown, but it's still gotcha. squishy fleshy. Gotcha. So you would know that because you are a creature of flesh, that if you were to turn this magic loose 100%, it would 100% destroy your body and likely everything around you. Uh, and when I say everything around you, I mean the limitlessness of everything. You would return all of that energy of a celestial body in this tiny little space. Um, So you are able to, through a ton of meditation and introspection, slowly start drawing out effects 
and I will let you decide how many days within here, hours uh, in the outside world it would take you to be able to grasp, um, let's see, third level, I believe we're at, so that would be second level spells. Uh, um, so if it's days in here, uh, I'd probably spend about three days in here. Okay. To try and try to, I, I feel like that would be a, a good gauge. Basically, uh, a day per level between cantrips and first and second level spells. All right, yeah. You are able to spend that time doing that, and uh, every day uh, you see that there are uh, rations that slowly appear um, growing out. What you can only imagine is like a super miracle grow type planter. Uh, there's lots of vegetables, fruits, and that kind of stuff that grow at an extremely rapid pace. And so uh, you're able to get a, enough food for a day. Uh, not great food, but it's fresh fruits and veggies and stuff uh, grow once a day uh, from these planters all around. So after you do everything that you need to do and feel that you are to the point where you can control your magic enough to be in this kind of quote-unquote fantasy setting... Um, you would be able to use the other potion next to the door to unseal it and uh, leave as soon as you are ready. Alright, so now that I kind of feel like I like I said, feel like I can actually do what I need to do, uh, <clears throat> I will unseal the door and uh, kind of cautiously step outside and figuring that if you know, that I spent three days in here, three hours have passed, I'm not expecting anyone who is around to be around and that I'm going to kind of best hope that there's another white handkerchief to lead me somewhere otherwise I'll uh, yeah, like I said, step out the door and see what happens Alright, yeah, as you open the door uh, you would hear that same chime that summoned the tutor the last time and you would see a different wizard this time uh, this one would be more in white robes, um, but they have kind of an odd aspect about them. You can tell now that you have kind of introspectively been looking within yourself at your magic. You can tell that they have magic as well, but this would not be the same type. Uh, you see that they exit out of one of the doors that has a strange symbol on it. Since you don't have the arcana, uh, you're not sure what. But it almost looks like a skull and crossbones uh, on the door. And uh, they step out of the room and kind of give you the once-over, uh, walk around you, um, ask you how you're feeling, um, is everything still all right, did you injure yourself in there and whatnot. I'm assuming you didn't. I may have singed an eyebrow or two as I was uh, trying to figure out flaming my, my uh, flaming spear, but uh, <laughs> other than that, I think, I think, I think I'm all right. All right. Uh, you can tell that they have, uh, by the way that they've been casting spells and whatnot, uh, minor spells, they would be basically using healing type magic or investigative type magic, but more in the medicine sense. Uh, so they would be, but definitely not divine. Uh, so this is still arcane. But you are able to um, kind of sense that they're just checking out, making sure you're okay. And they would direct you out the main set of doors. Um, the ones that you can now see are the only ones that are not labeled with some sort of arcane symbol. Uh, back into the main chamber. Would you find that same ether uh, atrial? Uh, probably, since they're, they're, I'm, I'll probably be drawn to uh, individuals that I recognize that, that were useful or helpful. I'll probably go uh, like so. Uh, excuse me. Hello. <laughs> they would uh, turn around and oh, that didn't take you very long. Were you able to find what you were looking for? I found the beginnings of what I'm looking for. Then is there anything else I can assist you with? 
I feel like um, I might ask them about potentially joining the guild. Okay, yeah, they would say that you would need to return in the morning as it is now, since three hours has passed and it was dusk, uh, it would be getting on to, we'll call it about 9, 10 o'clock. Um, so those kind of, I don't want to say office functions, but basically those kind of office-type functions are no longer available right now. But they do tell you that there are several nice inns in town. Um, there's also plenty of stalls to explore for food. Um, there's uh, taverns that you can drink at, uh, anything that you want, and then just basically return in the morning, not hungover, because drunk wizards are never a good thing. And uh, uh, you can begin to work through that process of joining. Like, you have to point me in the direction of the cheapest place. I'm not exactly flush for cash. They would probably say... Well, if you're looking for very cheap, on the outskirts of town, there's some dives, uh, flop houses that you are more than welcome to take your uh, risk or take your life into your own hands at. Otherwise, I know there's a couple of nice places in town, uh, such as the Flying Halfling. Uh, there's also the Top of the World, but that one's a little bit pricier. Um, other than that, you could probably find bunking in some of the common houses, but... Uh, like I said, there you're, or the flop houses, but there you're kind of taking your life into your own hands. Uh, hearing him mention the, the the flying halfling, and then remembering my my coupon for a free drink, I might actually see if I can uh, work a deal and, and trade that free drink for a couple hours of sleep. Okay, yeah, not a problem. Uh, you are able to, with just your basic navigating skills, uh, able to eventually find your way over to the drunken halfling. Now that you're not really in a, I don't want to say a super rush, but now that you're not really, you know, pressed for time, would you do any kind of listening in or any kind of looking around? Did you make your way there? Um, I would be more attentive to my surroundings, but I feel, considering I'm not actually looking for anyone or anything in particular, it'll just be more of, you know, just, if I hear anything interesting, I'll listen in a little bit more. But for the most part, it'll be just paying better attention to my surroundings is to not get run over or run someone else over. Kind of getting the lay of the city, because I figure odds are I'll probably be spending a fair amount of time here. All right, then. So you are able to get to the Flying Halfling, and uh, you're able to kind of see the prices on the outside. They have a, a really rudimentary uh, menu board on the outside of the building, because this is a very hopping place. It's a very large inn by... <laughs> large inn for halflings. Um, it's a very large tavern-type inn by any standards that you can imagine, uh, especially having a little bit of pop culture knowledge of the, you know, four or five rooms and then the large common hall and that being about it. Uh, this is kind of a multi-level building with uh, a very large balcony-type second floor that overlooks the main room and, and several stories above that you can only imagine to be rooms. And on the outside of that menu board, you see that a mug of ale, which is what you have a coupon for, would be four copper pieces. And you see that uh, staying the night here at the inn would be two silver pieces. So you're pretty sure you're not going to be able to trade it straight across, but uh, you could maybe do a little bit of work or something like that to try and get a free night stay if you wanted. Unless I don't know if your background has anything that would give you that or not. My, what's going to, utilizing placed background um all, all that really gives me is my my crazy weird meta knowledge um gotcha so so the best i can hope for is to to hope that i happen to miss a couple of silver pieces in the bottom of my backpack that i forgot about 
Oh yeah, you would have starting equipment um, as per the regular class. Um, uh, go ahead. I was thinking, you know, having, having having spent a few weeks in the world, I probably would have ended up, probably not all of it because it was ten gold. So I could probably afford to spend the night here. Yeah, uh, depending on. Um, Let's see, uh, the living expenses, one silver piece a uh, day is squalored, uh, poor is two silver pieces, modest is one gold piece, um, and then depending on, if are you proficient in survival at all? Uh, no. Okay, uh, then you wouldn't be able to just get uh, food there, uh, you know, fine food. So depending on how you would have been living, if, especially if you were in a village and whatnot, I'm sure you would have been assisting, you know, not just wandering uh, aimlessly about the village all day. Uh, I'd say you probably have three or four gold pieces left to your name at this point, because I believe you start off with ten, I think, in uh, your... Yeah, this place starts off with ten gold. Yeah, so you probably have three or four gold pieces left at this point uh, pretty easily. I, I will uh, utilize that to get some food in my belly and a pillow under my head. All right, yeah. Um, as you sit down, you notice that there are quite a few other uh, individuals in robes and whatnot sitting down. Many of them seem to be grabbing... Uh, what you would almost picture as brown bag lunches, um, a linen sack or whatever, like a burlap sack uh, with a couple apples, loaf of bread, a piece of cheese, you know, wrapped in uh, paper or whatever, and uh, running them out the door uh, almost as quick as they can hand them out uh, now that night has fully fallen. Uh, and all of them are wearing wizard robes but seem to be carrying those strange wands and everything. Uh, would you investigate that at all? I would, actually. I'd be, I'd be you know... Now, now that I've had time to kind of see what's going on, seeing a lot of people in the same clothes carrying similar equipment, I, I would be very intrigued as to what exactly is happening. So um, if I can actually get a hold of one of them in their rush, I would. Otherwise, I'd just ask whatever individual is tending the bar, you know, what, what, what's, what's going on here? This is, uh, um, uh, y'all, y'all seem to be in quite a rush this evening. So you're able to kind of barely glean a little bit just from sitting near, because I'm assuming you would have gotten food and stuff first and arranged. Yep. Um, and after noticing this trend of people, you would definitely all get that they're going somewhere and that this isn't a new thing because you can see they've got like, uh, I don't want to say temporary help, but they've got almost like the the innkeeper's kids or whatever, bagging these lunches as quickly as they can, passing them out. No matter how many they pass out, more get taken. So you're able to, after you finish off your mug of ale and your uh, food for the night, you're able to talk to the bartender. And uh, he would say, oh, those crazy mages, they'll always be going out onto the outside and looking for these shiny stones. I know you saw the ones on top of the roof, uh, the ones that make the roof grow like glow like a rainbow. Those are the stones that they're looking for. I guess they fall sometimes from the sky and crash into the aisles here, being as we're the highest up. That interests me. Considering oh. the, the, the nature of my arrival, yeah, that, that, that seems uh, like a, a curious bit of possible serendipity, so I, w- I want to learn more about these random things. All right. Uh, you kind of follow the... I'm assuming uh, you just kind of get your key or whatever for the night and then uh, tell them you'll be back later and uh, yep. follow these mages out, correct? Yes. All right, yeah. Are you going to try and talk to any of them as you're walking or just kind of watch what they're doing? Um, if any of them are willing to talk, I will ask them what exactly is happening here. Yeah, they they say that they're basically a couple, two or three of them um, group up and then split off and they each go their separate ways. But uh, through lots of little interactions, just asking them what's going on, 
you're able to figure out that these stones are extremely potent magically, uh, and that this entire float isle is basically peppered with these, almost meteor style, with these stones that are causing it to float. And so that's why the towers and the buildings are able to stretch as high as they are, is because the roofs actually weigh less than what... They, they, they have a negative weight, so they are fastened onto the top of these very large towers and help tri- take some of that structural weight off. Um, they're also being used to create almost flying fortresses, flying wizard towers. Um, they get used in airships, which is a brand new technology. Uh, these ba- They look like giant boats almost, but they fly through the air. And um, all of these kind of things. So they're extremely valuable and extremely magically potent. Uh, and that this is one of the best places to find them. Because for some reason, they believe it has something to do with the elemental nature of the island, having an affinity for the wind, um, and these stones having those basic fly, levitate-type properties, that they are almost attracted to this island. Uh, because once they hit the water in the ocean below, uh, they tend to disintegrate um, because of the, the the magic around the island. Something, maybe that's what fuels the whirlwinds. There, It's all theory right now. But um, if they hit the island itself, they are still viable for a short amount of time before they lose their power. Uh, but if a wizard is, or a mage is able to get a hold of them, they can entrap that by etching runes on these stones. Hmm. That sounds interesting. I want to see how this, uh, how this all pans out. Okay, yeah, so you follow them out. Um, many of them have these strange goggles on, and they explain that they uh, kind of like night vision, so since these rocks that fall from space glow a little bit as they come through, it lights up like a beacon um, with these goggles. They can det- they can see that, and they can detect what is, like, they can see the school of magic with them, almost like detect magic a little bit, to make sure that they're the real rainbow stones and not just, you know, debris that's been thrown up by the whirlwinds, because that's a fairly common thing, too. So you're, you follow them out, you kind of check what they're doing, and those wands all have the exact same runes carved on them, and you are, they explain to you that the wand is what etches the rune. It's a single-use item. When you touch the rock with it and you speak the command word, these runes that trap the energy of the stone within it uh, activate and seal the stone. Uh, so they would give you a spare wand and say, if you find one, just let us know, and we'll, we'll take it to the Mage's Guild. You know, we can all get credit that way. Um... So they're a little bit, little bit. I don't want to say trying to trick the newbie, but you kind of get a sense that they're trying to split the profits and increase their chances of getting a little bit off of these. It's understandable. He's talking about all these things while like, should I be wearing a hard hat? <laughs> they say your chances of getting struck, while it's not unknown, it's not a... It, you'll have warning. You know, this isn't something that is going to just hit you like a lightning strike um, or like a lightning bolt spell or whatever. You'll have some time to see it falling towards you and know what's going to happen. Roger that. Carry on. (laughs) All right. Uh, So they kind of take you out into where this large open field, for lack of a better term, uh, there isn't a ton of vegetation that grows up here because it doesn't receive near the rainfall or uh, anything like that. And it's very much windswept. It is for Nebraska joke, you know, if the wind ever stopped uh, blowing, everybody would fall over because they're constantly leaning into the wind. Uh, that's kind of what it's like here. Very windswept uh, landscape. 
So you're able to kind of find a sheltered spot behind a boulder and you're watching and waiting. And uh, they swear that they saw a streak uh, over on the other side of this, this small ridge. So they'll be right back. You wait here and keep an eye out and see if another one shows up. Considering I don't want to get caught up in, in all of their massive bodies anyway, I'd actually be okay with just hanging back and watching this chaos unfold. All right, go ahead then and give me a perception or an arcana check. Um, and this one you can actually add your spellcasting modifier if you would like to spot or notice this. Um, just a, a, a straight arcana check is a 20 for me. A 20? Awesome. Natural 20 then? It was not, oh, but gotcha. uh, I, have, I have plus two to intelligence, so yay. Okay, yeah, and then with your spellcasting modifier on top of that, that puts you well above the threshold that you needed to sense this item. As you are a cosmic sorcerer and you draw your energy from the, the, the cosmos, you are able to sense that buried within this rock that you're kind of taking shelter from is one of these stones. You can feel its power. And whether it hit during the day or whether it's been here forever, you don't know, but you can sense that there is a stone inside this rock that you are touching. And it's a fairly brittle rock. I don't want to call it lava rock, but kind of like that, where it wouldn't take a whole lot, you don't think, to break it. So I'll, uh, I'll, I'll take the, the quarterstaff that I carry around more as a walking stick than anything and just uh, give the rock a whack. Yeah, you're able to uh, use the end of it to kind of, there's small little pits and breaks in it. You're able to, you know, hit it enough, pry it apart enough that you find a glowing stone within the center of it. And this one is very much like what you saw in the other stones, uh, as far as like the roofs when you got closer, and they would have had small little pebbles, like thumb-sized pebbles of the stone, uh, as an example that they showed you. But this one is easily the size of your bald fist, and it has a different feel to it, a very familiar feel to it. Would you try to pry it out? Uh, I would be very careful. Actually, do. I am proficient with jewelers and tinkers tools, so might I be able to use those to kind of get it finagled out of there without causing too much damage to the stone itself? Yes, very easily. Go ahead and roll me a check just to be sure, but uh, it's only going to be a DC of 12. Um... You would add your proficiency and intelligence. Or dexterity. Exactly a 12. Exactly a 12. Alright, you are able to pry this stone out uh, using your jeweler's uh, hammer, uh, like in that movie. I think Shawshank Redemption, isn't it? Probably. Or, yeah. The, the little jeweler's hammer to, uh, to chip away at the stone enough to pry it loose. And uh, you are able to grab this stone out. And as your hand makes contact with it, you feel that this came from where you came from. You have a kinship to this stone, and its magic floods into you, and you almost feel like you have access to some of that magic. Uh, would you use that wand to seal the stone, or would you try to put that energy in there and seal that energy in there yourself? I feel like if, if this feels very familiar to me, I would rather try to avoid imparting any foreign magics into it, if I can avoid it. So I would actually try to see if I can't, you know, get a grasp on what is going through you, just, just inherently myself, rather than utilizing the wand if I don't have to. Okay, yeah. Go ahead and roll me uh, basically a spell attack roll. 
Um, 14. 14. You are able to, with great effort, slowly push this magic that was draining into you and kind of seal it off a little bit, almost as if rather than it constantly leeching energy, it's now spiraling that energy within the stone itself. And you're pretty sure that because of this constant swirling force that it it will continue to produce energy rather than leak it out, almost as if you were taking a radioactive stone and, you know, uh, putting it within a containment device as opposed to letting all of that just seep out. All those electrons uh, that were leaching off of it would now be stored within that containment vessel. You essentially created that kind of an effect. As I, as I kind of surreptitiously look around and make sure no one actually saw that, I will uh, slide it into my pocket and just be like, eat your heart out, Tony Stark. <laughs> that is awesome. I am glad you said as you surreptitiously look around because go ahead then and give me a perception check with advantage. Thank you, Advantage. That is an 11. An 11. You are just able to, out of the corner of your eye, you see a flash of frosty, almost, energy, a bolt of ice, and you dodge out of the way as it strikes the rock next to you. Go ahead and roll me initiative. That is a 15. All right, that is a lot higher than the 7 I roll. So uh, you will go first. You see three cloaked figures... Uh, Not necessarily wizard's robes, um, but definitely hooded cloaked figures charging towards you right now. Uh, The first one let off a bolt of uh, icy energy. Like, that was unnecessary, good sir, and I would prefer that you would not do that again. (laughs) Uh, But uh, if it's a fight you want, it's a fight you'll get. How about you? Trying to sound all all period. um, And I will start off... (laughs) I'll, I'll start off more trying to dissuade him than anything. And uh, but how far away is he? Uh, they would be charging towards you, so I'm going to say 60 foot right now. All right, so I won't be able to quite 30 plus 15. I won't be able to quite get in range for what I want to do initially, so I will uh, move into range and hit him with a frostbite. All right. Saving throw on that, or is that an attack roll? It is a saving throw. A constitution save. All right, that is a grand total of two with my plus zero. All right, so they will take 1d6 cold damage. So it'll be four cold. And I'm trying to remember if there are any other... And they have disadvantage on the next weapon attack roll they make before the end of their next turn. All right, then. Uh, And that's just one of them or all three? Uh, That's just just single target. All right. Uh, And would you have attacked the one that shot the bolt at you? If I knew which one it was, yes, otherwise I would have just thrown it at the the first one that I saw. All right. Uh, You see, uh, as that frostbite hits them, uh, the icy uh, uh, frost begins to creep up their body, and they shiver a little bit, but they don't seem to be terribly dissuaded by that. And you notice that they begin to coalesce, all three of them kind of at once, uh, begin to coalesce this frosty, almost ball of ice in their hands. And it takes the shape of a dagger and launches towards you, all three of them. So I need uh, three consecutive dexterity saving throws. This is gonna hurt, Bob. Yes, it is. Uh, That's a failure. Okay. That is also a failure. Okay. And uh, I think a 21 will save. Yes, a 21 will definitely save. 
but a, a seven and an eight will not. All right. Uh, as these almost daggers of ice stab into you, you feel frozen to your core. Uh, so your movement speed will be reduced by 10 feet, and you will be taking, ouch, 15 points of damage. Oh, that's that, that, that. Uh, mm. All right, uh, Nate, what, like, go ahead. I feel like I'm very much out of my element here. <laughs> um, they would continue to have run forward, so they would now be 30 feet away from you. 30 feet away. Uh, seeing that, that I my my attempts to dissuade them were ineffectual, uh, I'm, I'm going to take my chances, and I'm actually going to uh, utilize the... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run. Okay. So I uh, basically run 20 feet away and then dash for another 20 feet and try to get into town and maybe hopefully lose them in the crowds. Okay. Uh, would you be yelling for help or anything along the way? Um, if there's anyone that I can see that looks like they might be able to help me, I might be like, can I get a hand here? Okay. As you continue running, uh, you do see that there's another guy in goggles um, just coming over a crest. Uh, and you kind of wave and shout his direction as you recognize the, the robes of an actual wizard rather than these people that are pretending to be, essentially. And uh, you wave him over, and his eyes get a little bit big and his mouth drops open as he recognizes these three, not necessarily them as uh, individuals, but recognizes what they are trying to do. And he would level a wand towards them and fire off a bolt of fiery energy at the lead wand. Uh, that will definitely hit 16 plus whatever his modifier is. And one of the uh, three individuals goes down, uh, falling to the ground in a heap. It is back on to your turn. Okay. Um... Oh, wait, you just ran uh, and then shouted and then um, the guy helped you. So it would be their turn. Spotting yep. the new threat, uh, they would definitely be a little bit apprehensive about that. So they are going to both cast the same spell and basically shimmering magical energy uh, envelops their body, kind of encircles them. Uh, Then we move on to your turn. Okay, um, I am not liking where that went. I am very, very close to being down, but now that I have someone who can potentially help me out in this foray, uh, as I pull up to him, turn around, and... Hmm. Let's see. I gotta remember. I actually get some some bonuses for being in the face of the stars. Uh, I think we are going to hit him with guiding bolt. All right. So that is a twenty-four to hit. Yes, that very much hits the one. All right, and so that'll be. Ah, uh, I should have cast that at a higher level, but I didn't. Uh. Six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve radiant damage to him, and the next attack roll against him has advantage. And actually, that was enough to bring him down. He collapses to the ground. Having a zero in constitution doesn't help in the hit point department. 
No. <laughs> All right. Uh, so then uh, there is just the one remaining, and the mage that now has approached you casts another spell, and this time the ground around this other enemy, or this man that is pursuing you, the ground around him almost reaches up and encircles his legs. He tries to break free, but fails, and is completely held in place now. Uh, we then move on to his turn. Uh, he will try to break free and fails. It is uh, your turn now. All right. Um, since I really don't want... I, I didn't want to end up in this fight if I could avoid it, but they gave me no choice. Uh, I'll first look at him and thank him for his help. I really feel like... Um, I don't want to kill him, but I don't want to have him following me anymore. He would I say... Yeah, he would say to you, don't worry, I can handle this one if you want to head back in. All right, I'll, I'll, I will thank him for his assistance and uh, tell him I hope to see him at the Pages Guild as I sprint back towards the uh, the, the uh, flying halfling inn. As you continue on back towards town, you see large tendrils, for lack of a better term, of stone slowly enwrap this uh, individual, creating almost, I don't want to say like a mummy, but almost like a wrapping around his hands and legs, uh, keeping them from moving. And a silence spell is cast on him as well to keep him from casting. And you head back into town. Where would you go from this point? I would probably just be, like, hyper-paranoid and kind of try to find the largest number of people possible and take a roundabout route back to eventually get back to my uh, my, my room at the inn. But I'd go, I should try, try to make sure that there weren't any of any other goons that might have seen that happening and wondered what was going on and might want to question me. I, I just really want to really want to get a good night's sleep safely. Okay, yeah, you are very easily able to, uh, you would have come in and out of the main doors, uh, main there isn't really walls around here, but there is kind of a welcoming arch or whatever. You would have come through there and right on the main drag is where your uh, inn is located, so you would be very easily able to blend into the crowd and um, get back to your room without a problem. Would you then... I was like, I'm like, and with that, Ezio Auditore, eat your heart out. <laughs> All right. So then uh, I'm assuming you sleep the night and then head back to the Mage's Guild in the morning? Yeah, two two hit points is uh, is, is not what I want to go through the night with. So, yeah, we're just going to we're just gonna take a take a conk off and, uh, and go to the Mage's Guild. All right. Uh, as you get back uh, in the morning, uh, after you get done uh, with breakfast and everything else, you head your way to the Mage's Guild. Would you tell them about the stone at all, or would you just go to that uh, same kind of front counter person, receptionist, whatever, um, and ask them about joining, or would you tell them about the stone or anything? Um, I would probably want to wait until... I, I don't... Being that it's already caused me this much trouble... I'd want to wait until I was in a more private setting before I asked anyone about the stone. So I think I would just focus more on joining and then maybe hopefully being able to talk to someone, like I said, in a, in kind of in a more uh, less likely to be overheard situation. Okay. Uh, you are able to then, um, as you get there, you are given a scroll of arcane lock. Um, and told basically to go into the ceremonial type chambers or whatever, uh, wherever this whole th ceremony would take place in order to join the guild. Uh, they would basically give you a scroll of arcane lock and they would tell you to change and everything and there will be robes in here. 
So you would go to change and leave all of your possessions, including the stone, as they say, take nothing but these robes with you. And uh, you cast the arcane lock spell on this locker, for lack of a better term, uh, where you're storing your goods. And you go into a very large open chamber. Uh, You go into this very large chamber that is dominated by a giant magic circle. And you see there are 13 chairs around this circle. There are three distinct colors of robes around you. There are uh, red, black, and white. Yes, stealing this totally from Dragonlance. I am unashamed. Um, But I love the idea of good, neutral, and evil magic. Uh, So you see that there are 13 chairs, four of each color, and then one of gray robes. Uh, The gray-robed individual in the center is a different gray-robed individual than who met you last time, but you can tell that they are in a position of power. Uh, They would be ones that would walk all of the avenues of magic as opposed to aligning themselves to one particular color. Uh, They would recite oaths with you, oaths to uphold the secrets and responsibilities of being a mage of the Mage's Guild. They would tell you that you will have power and influence over those who are new in the magical world and that you will help guide them in a correct manner, whatever those morals may be for you. That you will not bring shame onto the Mages Guild. That you will help research and develop new magics and uncover lost and forgotten magics. And uh, they would make you swear to all of these. Would you? I don't have any reason not to. Are you? All right. Uh, After you swear to these oaths, the magic around you, they tell you to drain your magic into this circle, to attune with the tower itself, and to join the collective whole of the Mage's Guild. And, you know, speaking, you know, you're basically a being of magic, like a a nuclear bomb inside the the casing. I was was raising my hand, I'm like, all of it? They would say to drain all of your spells into into the circle and they would cork their eyebrow a little bit as normally the only speaking that is done is the oath swearing and then the occasional yes grand wizard no grand wizard type of speak um, but they tell you to drain all of your magical spells into the uh, circle not as magical spell effects but by pushing magic through I, I would I would I would do that in video make sure I don't accidentally blow up the world <laughs> As you do so, you begin to feel almost a pulse around you, a collective feeling of being a part of something much larger than what you are. You would be able to sense all the magic as swirling and tumultuous as that is, almost a whirlwind of magic, much like the whirlwind that carried you up uh, all around you as you pump your magic into this, and slowly it fades as you become a part of the words themselves. Uh, obviously, you'd still have access to your cantrips, but essentially all of your first and second level slots are gone at this point. Yay, I'm okay with that. <laughs> all right. Uh, then you I'm are... Yes, you are a part of the Mages Guild. Uh, you wear currently robes of brown, which would be unaffiliated robes as opposed to those that would be kind of a master of all or a certain alle- allegiance. You could eventually swear to one of those allegiances, but for right now... All you would have is the brown robes of an apprentice, for lack of a better term. All right. Okay. Uh, where would you like to go from here, then? Um, as, as being that I am just completely, you know, mentally drained, um, 
I might try to, uh, uh, but my brain is acting a lot like Clyde's is right now. Uh, <laughs> I'll probably just try to get me some food and, and then another night's sleep and then come back all bright-eyed and bushy-tailed in the morning to really start my research journey of awesome cosmic power. All right. As a member of the Mages Guild, you would know that you would have residence within the tower whenever you chose. Uh, so you wouldn't have to go back to that inn if you didn't want to. Food and lodging would be a part of your uh, dues, basically, which as an apprentice, you would do some menial chores, you know, cleaning a couple of rooms, uh, organizing the library for a couple hours, something like that would basically be your room and board for the day. You know what? That's that's better than having to spend money on things and as, as, as kind and generous as the, the folks at the Flying Halfling were, and I'll probably be more than happy to visit them in the future. Free room for doing something that I would probably want to be doing anyway is uh, seems, seems preferable. Okay. So I'll, I'll uh, take them up on that. All right, then you uh, do those uh, jobs or whatever, and then you rest and relax and recharge for the day. Uh, would you just kind of take like a long rest, for lack of a better term, nap, essentially, uh, and then wake yep. up for evening, or would you spend the whole day doing everything and then do normal sleep? Anything that isn't too mentally taxing, I would be happy to do, and you know, try to actually get a full night's sleep and, and come at it again in the morning. So I would just do whatever I can throughout the course of the day to, to, to help out around and then get a full night's rest. All right, you uh, go to the library to help organize a little bit, uh, being as you know about the Dewey Decimal System, and they do not. Uh, it takes you a little bit of getting used to as far as the uh, filing of the books and whatnot. But as you're helping, you're able to read a little bit here and there and pick up some more basic knowledge of the area, some of the, the histories and everything else, giving you a little bit better idea about the world around you. After several hours of doing that, evening falls, and you're able to get a full night's sleep, breakfast in the morning again, and then continue your day. Would you show the rainbow stone to anybody at this point, or what would you like to do? I'm, I'm going to wait until I can... I'd honestly probably like to talk to one of the gray wizards, you know, the gray wizards, if you will, but not entirely sure if I would be able to gain an audience with them this early. Uh, I would, like I said, I would very much want to talk to someone about the stone, but definitely, you know, someone I feel like I could... Someone who I can get a sense that I can maybe trust. You know, once again, not knowing for sure that I can trust any of them. I feel like there are some individuals that just inherently feel more trustworthy, and I would probably talk to one of them about it. Okay. More likely, the more important they are, the more I am to trust them. Okay, yeah. As an apprentice, you wouldn't have access necessarily to the Grand Wizard, the head of the uh, Mages Guild or anything like that from here. Uh, but you would be able to talk to any one of the uh, magical tutors or any one of the high-ranking, I don't want to say battle wizards, but the protectors, the guards. There are also several archmages uh, that frequent the tower. But you can... Um, mm -hmm. Is there any chance that I can find the first guy that I talked to the first time I showed up who actually pointed me to the, the, the hyperbolic time chamber? Yeah, you're able to, um, with now that you're kind of keyed into the tower's wards... Uh, you're able to rudimentarily navigate this tower with kind of a, a holographic map in your mind almost. And you can tell that he is down in the uh, same classroomy type area. And since you're a major member of the Mages Guild, you now know what all those symbols on the doors mean. Uh, you can tell that they're for the different schools of magic, essentially. And then uh, the time-looking ones were chronomancy, obviously, 
Uh, the white-robed one that came out earlier was necromancy, but the good side of it. Um, and so you see this tutor come out of the abjuration door, uh, and he would definitely be thrilled to see you in the brown robes of an apprentice and wonder what if you're looking for an apprenticeship with him specifically or uh, why you called him out. Uh, I'll be like, I'll, first of all, I'll... I'll uh... Abjuration is probably not a magic that I'm going to be utilizing a whole lot, but I will thank him for his uh, his offer and tell him I will consider it. But I uh, I have a question about this, and I'll kind of look around, make sure that, that we're alone in the room, and I'll pull the stone out of my pocket, kind of hold it in my hand. And just, what can you tell me about these? As you pull it out of your sleeve or wherever you're hiding it, pouch, uh, he immediately puts his hand on your hand and pushes it back into wherever you were hiding it and says, we need to talk somewhere more private. Uh, and looks around also and goes into the abjuration door, holding it open for you. And uh, there's a large, long hallway. And uh, after some walking past different doors, you get to what you can only imagine is his office and step inside. Uh, he then asks you where you got that and what is that seal on it? Because that isn't anything that they do. What, what did you do to this? I'll tell him I've found it embedded in a rock outside the night before last when I followed the, the, the stone hunters out into the fields outside of town, kind of curious as to what they were doing. As a couple of them had wandered off, I just kind of felt it in a rock that I was sitting on and managed to break the stone open and pull this out and uh, just kind of utilizing some of the teachings I learned from you channeled some of my own personal magic into it to kind of stabilize it, if you will. Okay. Uh, yeah, he would definitely be wide-eyed and believe you. Uh, you can see, you can feel there's almost a compulsion to speak the truth here. Not necessarily zone of truth, but definitely it would be harder for you to lie to him. Um, but uh, yeah, he definitely believes you, and he says this is not something that anybody has done since, uh, at least at your level. Arch wizards obviously are able to, but not a newbie, uh, especially one that isn't learned in books. Uh, one that you know, your magic comes from within. That would be a nearly impossible task for you to accomplish. Um, so he would definitely direct you to Port City to learn more about these, saying that this is beyond anything that we're capable of here, and. He heard that somebody got attacked when one of these rogues was drug in. Uh, he would say that you're safest being in Port City away from here. Thank you for your time, good sir, and I hope that uh, I, I think I'll take your uh, take your advice and, and head to Port City, and hopefully I'll find myself back here one day to visit you all again. I've learned a lot from you all, and I really uh, I thank you for your your time and advice, and I wish you the very best, and hope to see you again. Okay, yes, he would uh, wish you the best of travels. Uh, he would give you the option of either teleporting through the crystal network straight there from here, but he said that may draw some attention as, you know, an apprentice would not normally have access to it. Otherwise, he knows one of the airship uh, pilots, for lack of a better term, and would kind of give you a voucher in order to get there uh, that would be paid upon delivery, basically. Uh, the Mages Guild in Port City would pay after you arrived, if you so chose to do that route instead. I think the less attention I draw to myself, the better. If it's as uh, potentially dangerous as you say, I'd like to avoid that if I can. So I'm still learning all of this, and uh, I barely survived being attacked the other night. So if I can avoid a fight, I would really like to for now. So I think I will uh, 
take you up on the, the, the offer of passage on the airship. All right, yeah, so then uh, using your, the voucher that he gave you and promising to do some of the chores about the ship, um, helping to clean or whatever, helping to navigate, using your magics for whatever purpose, uh, you are able to book passage onto Port City, and after a couple weeks' travel, you land safely in Port City. So this is where we will go ahead and stop for this session, and when we pick up, we will see what happens with your Rainbow Stone and the Mage's Guild there. Splendid. Alright, thank you very much, Micah. I will uh, let you know when the next time we can record is. Alright, that sounds awesome. Thank you very much, Bob. Thank you. See you later. You too. Bye. Thank you for listening to this introduction of The Chaos Plan. Hopefully, we will be very soon starting to record the full games, and once we do, they will be available for listening up on our Patreon account. We hope you really enjoyed it. Uh, I know this is a ton of fun for us here, and we are open to bringing in absolutely anybody that wants to. Just join our Patreon account, and we promise that you will be a part of the Chaos Plan game. You will get an intro mission like this, and then at least one group mission, and when scheduling works out with everybody, we can get multiple groups going as this isn't going to be one continual storyline. This is going to be a series of one-shots that all meld together into an overarching idea and campaign. So if this is something that interests you, if there's a homebrew you really want to play, if there's a class, a race, something that really resonates with you, with you that you think would be a lot of fun to bring here, we encourage you to join the Patreon, put it up, and we will make it happen. Uh, you will also get a custom magic item that will grow with you throughout the campaign, and you can help use that item to shape the adventure in what you do. So if this is something that you feel interests you, please, please, please join our Patreon account, and we would be more than happy to get you on the show here. To do that, go to patreon.com slash adventuringguild, and I hope to see you there.